0: Hello, hello, hello! I hope you're doing better than you were yesterday. Welcome to Sundoku, because we all have the mysteries piled up. Now, my name is Ray, and each week I'll plunge into the mysteries of the world, from true crimes and unsolved cases, to even supernatural phenomena. Well, first of all, I would like to take a minute and thank you all for taking an interest in my small research-based podcast. And I hope you all enjoy your time here. This is the first episode and I'm super excited because I hope that I can deliver you the quality content that you want and um, I'll try my best to remain unbiased in all of the researches that I do but sometimes I might be you know I might seem a little bit biased to a site because you see I am more of a believer so sometimes some opinion of mine may be on the that. Wants to believe in everything. But yeah, keeping that aside. Well, before jumping right into the first episode, I would like to ask you guys some questions. Well, what kind of questions? So, questions like, Have you ever wondered that we are living in this world, right? So, is it actually as we see it? Or is it maybe all just a simulation? Or or more broader questions about that subject that are humans or are the homo sapiens only form of intelligent life in the whole universe? Well, this question can have two answers according to me. First is that we are alone. And second is that we are not alone. Well, both the answers are astounding and at the same time equally terrifying. Because if we are alone, In this vast universe that we know today then well isn't it kind of scary that in this universe in this vast universe that is full of mysteries at each point what if we were to just what if we were to just blow away somewhere and you know like no one would know that some species like homo sapiens existed or Why would they care? Like no one is out there, so no one cares, right? But the second answer that is, what if there is other or there are other intelligent lives on other planets that are not human beings? Well, this question alone raises a lot of questions with itself. I know I'm just I'm just speaking questions and questions and questions, but it's just because I'm curious about questions like What is beyond, if anything is? And, or what kind of creatures are they who are not human beings? Or, have they actually ever tried to reach out to us? Do they wonder that there may be some other human life, like or other intelligent life, like us homo sapiens? Well, these are the questions that I have in mind when I hear the words, extraterrestrial beings, or the aliens? Well, as you might know that over the decades, we have heard many stories and uh, many incidences about UFO sightings or, you know, the flying saucers. So, what is it? Is it true? Is it true that some extraterrestrial beings are actually trying to contact us and tell us that there is life apart from human beings on some other planets or on some other planets or on some other galaxies. Well, for me, as I said, I'm more of a believer side. So, I would like to request you all to keep an open mind in this episode and actually think about the infinite possibilities out there. And in today's episode, I will be talking about one such case of infinite possibilities. Well, that person didn't have any, you know, physical solid evidence with him that is. But if we actually try and think about the claims and if those claims are real, then my man, this is one of the best examples or best cases out there to know about any extraterrestrial life. and. This man claimed that he actually worked on a UFO and he actually described how we depict the pictures of alien, of modern aliens and modern UFO designs. So let's take a closer look on who actually is Bob Lazar. So for me, when I say alien, the first terms that pop up in my mind are either UFO or Area 51. And I guess you all are well aware about the term Area 51. Well, even if you're not interested in aliens or any science topics or whatever, Area 51 is a term that just pops up out of nowhere. and. You know, no one knows what actually is going on there, or no one knows what is actually happening behind those closed doors. So, apparently, Area 51 is a US military Air Force base camp, there it's a facility where they test flights on aircrafts and other things. But we all know that how infamous Area 51 is for its conspiracy theories relating to ufos and avians and well the term area 51 it actually came to the surface with this case so area 51 is a facility is a u.s military air force facility which is located in the barren desert of southern nevada so it is an intensely secret base let me tell you uh so The employees working there, they have to sign confidentiality agreements uh, that they would not spill the secrets or they would not spill uh, the scientific researches they are doing there out to anyone, to their wife, to their friends, to their anyone out there. If they do, they are threatened to their life. Well, these are the claims that have been made for the past years. And I'm just telling you everything on the basis of the claims people have been making and assumptions people have been making about it. And this is true. This information that the employers, uh, the that the employees, uh, I'm sorry, the employees are taken to that base, Area Fifty One, through an unmarked plane. Now, this is a crucial information. Just remember it. So, who actually is Bob Lazar, who coincided the term Area Fifty One in the eyes of the public? so let's take a closer look in the background of bob lazar but let me tell you when i was researching about bob lazar uh, most of uh, you know his background is i don't think so it's found anywhere like it's a pretty sketchy thing in itself but when you look at it all the things about his education are basically not there the most you get is a college degree that he did but yeah I, I just told you this, uh, remember it for the future reference. So moving on ahead, who was Bob Lazar? So Bob Lazar was born on January 26, 1959 in Coral Gables, Florida, US. Now, why are we talking about Bob Lazar and why are we talking about Area 51? Because Bob Lazar is a person who claims to have worked in Area 51. Well. Not specifically Area 51, but a subsidiary installation or a subsidiary facility of Area 51, which was known as S4, located several kilometers south of Area 51. So this case is all about Bob's claim. Bob's cl- Bob claiming things about this and that and all. So first of all, his education background. As I said, Bob or Robert Scott Lazar Not much is given out about about his educational background, but the most I found was that he attended the Pierce College, which is a community college in Los Angeles, and he did some electronic course there. Now, after that, Bob claims that he he did opt for further degrees after that, and he actually got a master's degree from MIT. That is what he says and he also went for even further studies from there and got some electronic degree from caltech well now both of these institutions mit and caltech are the at the top of the world like anyone who gets the admission in there is someone who has big brain obviously uh, but yeah a lot of people debate about his credibility and his education well We'll discuss that further in the podcast, but uh, for right now, let's just focus on his background as what he claims it is. Now, he worked as a physicist at the Los Alamos National Laboratory, New Mexico. So guys, this is not a small thing, let me tell you. Los Alamos National Laboratory is not a small thing it served as the birthplace of the atomic bomb. So I don't think so anyone with some minimal knowledge about any subject can get in there. I don't think so it can happen because if it's birthplace of atomic bomb and probably it's one of the most famous federal government laboratory out there. And Bob in 1982 did something crazy while staying there. So what he did uh, was... He was interested in jet engines. So he took a bicycle, a normal bicycle, and he actually integrated a a jet engine to it and made it a jet bicycle. And he apparently rode that bicycle on the roads of New Mexico. But the cops stopped him in the end because they were concerned about his safety. After some time, Bob just took his car. He had a Honda car at that time. And he integrated the jet engine or And he integrated a jet engine in that normal car. And he invented it into a jet car. And this thing got so big that he even made it in a newspaper article. And it is is available on the internet for you to read. So if you have time, uh, please go and read about it. Uh, But around uh, the same time, somewhere in uh, 1986, Um, Bob filed for bankruptcy and uh, in that, he described himself as self-employed film processor. I want you to remember this point because as I said, there is no credibility about his claims and it is somewhere because of his past life. So just remember this point. After that, uh, Bob believes it is according to him that this article this newspaper article was the one that got him into the attention and that got him the job in area 51 now now uh, he got a job in area 51 at first he didn't know what it is he didn't know what he's going to work on he he didn't have anything he just signed an agreement uh, with egng company and and later, we'll find out that EG&G does actually recruit employees for the Area Fifty One. So yeah, he got the job, and as I said, uh, the employees are carried by an unmarked plane, and the same happened with Bob. Uh, so uh, they carried Bob from that uh, from that unmarked plane to the Groom Lake or Area Fifty One. Now Bob claims that uh, the facility asked him to reverse engineer a spacecraft, a spacecraft that was not made on Earth. That means it was extraterrestrial. Now Bob told about all kinds of uh, all kinds of things in the facility. Uh, he said that there were teams made for different kinds of purposes, and his team had the purpose to reverse engineer the spacecraft. Now, when Bob Lazar showed up uh, in the lab, Barry introduced him to what he called the engine of that extraterrestrial spacecraft. It was from one particular spacecraft, and he explained it something like pester garbage, you know, the something that one might find at an antique shop. Um, and. It was a small metal half-sphere about the size of a basketball. Now, these things were the emitter and the reactor. That means the pressure garbage and that uh, sphere sphere kind of metal thing. Uh, And these things uh, were supposed to work together, like kind of like an engine for the spacecraft. Now, Bob, when tried to touch that sphere, thing of the engine it actually pushed him back that thing pushed him back and it made him realize that it was anti-gravity it had anti-gravity property now let me tell you about anti-gravity i hope you all are aware about it and it's uh it's just opposite of gravity okay which is basically gravity pulls or attracts everything towards its center but anti which is just which just means opposite, so it pushes everything away. But as human beings, we don't have we we haven't achieved that technology that actually uh you know um can produce anti gravity objects. Um. So yeah, and Bob has already signed things uh like confidentiality things about the S four, so uh, he couldn't tell anyone about anything. And also, according to him, uh, the different departments, the separate departments that were in their project, they were not allowed to communicate with each other. Like Lazar claimed that they were not allowed to even look at what others were doing for the project. All they can do was that they had the two things of the engine and they had to somehow come up with this amazing theory to reverse engineer them. Now. Lazar made a great claim here. What he claimed was that the propulsion of that studied vehicle was because of an antimatter reactor. And it was fueled by element 115 or element 115. Now, the problem for his credibility at that time was that element 115 was not found. Uh, element 115 was not found until recently. Uh, where in 2003 a joint team of uh, russian and american scientists synthesized it and it was named at moscovium but the problem about moscovium is that it's an extremely radioactive element and which means that it can decay very quickly in fact uh, even the most stable isotope of it is moscovium 2, uh, 290 moscovium 290 which has a uh, half-life of only 0.65 seconds so but bob still claims that in near future we will soon find an isotope, uh, a stable isotope of muscovium now bob says that he even took some of this element with him to his home it is it is super crazy that a man who signed a confidentiality agreement with a government company is not keeping is not keeping that contract alive anyways but yeah so he took some of that and after working some time on the reactor and the emitter bob was just so fascinated with everything he was like where did this thing come from how was it even you know how did it even fit in the vehicle that it might have been taken out from so he asked He asked the authorities that, well, dude, look, you have to let me see the thing. If I can't see it, I won't be able to reverse engineer it. And if I see it, I might get some clue. So one day they actually took him to see the spacecraft. Now, Bob describes this as something like, there was a mountain range on which nine flying saucers were there. That means he claims that the U.S. government had nine captured or crashed extraterrestrial spacecrafts with them. Now, he claimed that the site consisted of concealed aircraft hangars built into a mountainside. And there were nine such hangars. And at least one of them was shaped like an actual saucer. Now. They took him inside. Bob, Bob saw that the spacecraft didn't have any landing gear or wheels to support it, you know, like to support it on the floor. It just kind of, it just kind of sits on the floor and rests. And when they took him on the inside, well, it was an uh, interesting thing, because uh, Bob described it as something that couldn't fit an adult, like it was made for a middle school middle school child. He described it as something, Bob was six feet. He said that if I were six feet, then it could only fit someone half my size. That, mean it was, that means it was meant for a child. Now, there were not any controls, nor any buttons. Probably they have been removed or whatever. But they somehow knew how to turn it on. And one technician in that room turned, actually turned it on and they all saw it saw it hovering in the air about 40 feet above them with a faint blue light underneath. That blue light was almost was almost hypnotizing. That's how Bob explains it. Now after all this, Bob gets back home and he didn't get any phone calls from the S4. He didn't get that come uh, like you have to come to the facility and uh, start your work again after that. Uh, and uh, he had been working for almost three months at the time, and this was the long this was the longest uh, that he had been that he hadn't received any phone call to come back to work again. But uh, as Bob was staying at home, here he realized something which was truly terrifying, something that scared him and something that he feared that might eventually thread his life. Bob noticed that people were tailing him. Bob noticed that there was a car outside his door, outside his house, which was constantly following him. Him and his wife both noticed it. Now, one day, Bob called the cops. Bob saw this all. He claimed that the cops came. Uh, they got out of the cop when they got to that car, greeted two men in black suit, and black shades, apparently this is, this is the plot which gets interesting because, you know, we got some amazing pictures, uh, amazing movies in these black suits. Yeah, men in black, that's what I'm talking about. But yeah, um, I'm sorry, I strayed straight, I straight from the topic, but that's how I am. Uh, but yeah, so the, co- the cops got over, talked to them, got in their cop van and went away. They didn't do a single thing. They never reported a single thing to Bob, and they didn't do anything. At this time, co- uh, at this time, Bob was so scared that not even police can help him in any of this. Uh, and since he uh, have also allegedly taken that element one fifteen to his house or somewhere else, so he thought, you know, these people might have uh, some clue about it. So he was just scared to death. Now. Here, what he thinks. Here, he thinks that he's never going to step foot on Area 51 ever again. Okay, now all ends here, but now Bob does something so stupid. What he does is he says that, okay, well, if I'm going to end it all, why not show it to my friends and my wife? So, (laughs) what he did was he took his wife and his two closest friends to see the flights you know the testing flights now he knew the schedule Uh, he had been working there for three months and um he got his hands on the test flight schedule so yeah he took them there i mean yeah they were young blood and bob was all excited about it it was it was like a viewing party you know um uh, that's what I suppose it is because there are they, they recorded live videos. There are video clips of them and there are video clips of that test flight, but since it's it's you know it's night and everything is so dark, the most you can make it out uh is that some light zooming in the air, that's it. Now he drove them to the Pupu's lake uh and sat with the people to watch the flights uh because he knew the schedule, obviously. But this turned out to be one of the worst decisions of Bob Lazar's life. Now, let us take a look why he regretted it so much. So what happened was that as uh, Bob Lazar was taking the, his wife and his two closest friends for uh, seeing the test flights uh, to make his friends believe that he actually worked on UFOs, uh, they, go, they went there for three weeks straight, and after that, one night, a security guard actually recognized Bob, and he noticed them there. Um, the next morning, it was just problems. It was, it was a pile of problems in front of him, because at his doorsteps, there were government officials. They flew them to a different facility for interviewing and for questioning. And they held him there till the night and, yeah, they questioned him, all sorts of things. Uh, Like, they first believed that Bob was uh, some Russian spy because it was the end of the Cold War and, uh, you know, it was not uh, a completely, completely bizarre idea that uh, Russia might send some spies to keep track on the Americans. Uh, But It was not like that. Bob made them, Bob pleaded them that it was nothing like that, but he didn't have any evidence. But yeah, in the end, they left Bob for the night. Uh, Bob went home and he was just full of anxiety and fear. Now he feared for his life because he didn't know what the officials might do and the officials didn't know how to proceed. Uh, so yeah, Bob was just scared for his life, and he was so scared and anxious that he just uh, wanted to do something. So one of his friends suggested him to talk to George Knapp. Now, George Knapp is a reporter, or I should say, investigative reporter, uh, on Las Vegas TV station KLAS, and uh, he talked to him like. Bob talked to George about everything at first, even George was kind of skeptic, and you know, because there is no credibility about Bob's claim uh as he doesn't have any physical evidence, and that just can't be denied since his claims are so bizarre and yeah, so George was also kind of not digesting the fact that. Uh, he didn't think it was possible, but George believed Bob because it was not the first time someone had told him some stories about Area 51. Apparently, according to George, some people before Bob have also claimed to, you know, been working at the facility, but they could never come on the surface with their stories They were as they were allegedly threatened by men in black, or I should say big men in black suits and black shades. So yeah, George actually found some credibility in Bob's story since his story was somewhat similar to what others have already told him. So what they decided was that they would do an interview. So in 1989, an interview was done With George and Bob. And Bob had covered his face in that interview and he used a pseudonym of Dennis. This was to maintain his privacy as they didn't know what was going to happen with the uh, officials at Area 51 or they might take some step or whatever. So they just uh, hid Bob's identity and did a small interview. And some months later, Bob actually came up on the surface with his real identity and with his real face and did another interview it was a whole special about this area 51 and his job and everything else and yeah it was the most watched interview on their channel uh but yeah it, it was all based on Bob's claim this is the shortcoming of this case uh since they have no evidence since Bob has no physical evidence have he he doesn't have anything to prove that he is legitimate or he is credible uh, so some people believe his claims while some don't and as i have already told i am more on the believer side but yeah i i try to i try to sum up all the research that i did uh in the simplest form that i could uh, so yeah now i will discuss more about what kind of question rises your, or what kind of questions are there in people' mi- in people's mind or in skeptics? What kind of questions do skeptics rise to? Uh, you know, uh, dismiss this whole theory and what some people who believe in the theory gives the answers as or what I believe the answers are. Uh, well, so the first question is. It's about his education. Well, as I said. He had a pretty sketchy background, and um, there is not much given out about his education. Uh, his claims about his degrees at MIT and Caltech well, skeptics disagree with them and they just abruptly dismiss them uh, because when MIT and Caltech were asked about a man la- named Bob, Bob Lazar. They said that they have never had a student named Bob Lazar ever in their campuses or they don't know who Bob Lazar was or he didn't you know, he didn't study there. But the fact is, like according to according to a newspaper clipping, uh that Bob actually worked at Los Alamos National Laboratory. You know, that uh article of him creating the jet <laughs> jet car and the jet bicycle well the newspaper article clearly stated his name bob lazar referring to him as a physicist at the los Alamos national laboratory new mexico and as i said this is a very important facility as it is the birth p- as it is the birthplace of atomic atomic bombs so i don't think so or many people don't believe that anyone who just got some course in electronic at a community school such as Pierce College can get admission or can get employed in such uh, an advanced institution or such an advanced company. So that's the first thing. And about the newspaper clipping, why would a newspaper article, why would a newspaper article lie to people about civilian? Because at that time, George didn't have any particular image in the public, you know. Uh, he he didn't come out with a story or anything. So yeah, it's it's a bit unclear that why would a newspaper lie about someone who who doesn't who doesn't have any uh potential profit for them. The next question is that where is the evidence that he actually worked at Area Fifty One? Or in any other facility in Nevada. Well, the only one piece of physical physical evidence that Bob could ever come up with was a W-2 form for less than a thousand dollars paid to him by the Department of Naval Intelligence. But the authenticity was questioned, and it is not much taken as an evidence. But keeping okay, keeping the evidence aside, if bob didn't work in any facility okay in area 51 there are just some details there are just some minor details which makes it just so difficult to believe that he didn't work there because okay first of all he took his friends uh to the purple lake for watching the test flights you know so how did he know the schedule how did he know the schedule of aircraft testing of such a confidential and secret facility. Is it actually possible for a person who doesn't have anything to do uh, with that facility to know about such things? Well I don't think so when they and when that facility emphasizes so much on their security and confidentiality. That is that that is a point that if you think about is not normal from anywhere. Like what do you think? He was, he was there for like, he was there for three weeks straight and each day there was a flight testing of something there because they had live videos and you can find the footage anywhere on the internet. So yeah. And well, there is uh, one more thing, not one more, there are many things like this. Uh, the one of it is, um, well, in many of his stories, Bob talks about a scanner thingy, which is basically a metal plate uh, that measures the bone length of one's hand biometrically because it's supposed to be different for everyone. And uh, like when you scan that, then you are allowed to enter the facility of S4. And astoundingly, in the documentary of 2018, uh, in the Netflix documentary, which actually brought this case uh, out from the shadows once again. Uh, the person who made this documentary actually found photographs of the same metal plate published by the government from the nearby Nellis Air Force range. And uh, the na- by the way, the name of the documentary is Bob Lazar, AR-51 and Flying Saucers. Um, you can go and give it a bo- watch if you're free. But yeah, coming back. Uh, don't you think it's strange for a person uh, who never worked in a facility to know about... Such a strange scanning device and with such particular details. After that, there is one more incident uh, where he came up with people's names who actually used to work there, like who actually used to work in the facility. Like one of the examples is Mike Thickpin, uh, who, according to him, helped with the security clearance. And after years, it was actually true, it was found out to be true. So, these things just point out that he did work there, like somewhere for some time, you know. And the other question is about his uh, zeta reticuli system. So, what happened was, uh, when Bob entered the program in the facility, he was, according to him, he was given a briefing to read. And while reading the briefing, uh, he came up with the name of the zeta reticuli system from which that Alien thing was described to come from, like that alien spacecraft came from somewhere in that satellite system, according to him. But according to the physics we know, according to how much we know about the world, it is not possible. Because he also claimed about the element one fifteen, and as I said, as much as we know the universe, the stars that are out there in the galaxies like which are in the middle of the systems they go through different phases in order to create you know elements and when their core hits iron when their core creates iron that's the end of the star that's when the star explodes um so that means that's the end of the star and such a heavy element people think that it's not possible to be out there And, uh, by the way, Zeta Reticuli is a twin binary star system, just to let you know. But, 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 Bob backs up this theory. Like, uh, he says that the facility allegedly put false information in every individual's briefing documents, so that if any information is leaked, they know from which source or from which person it is being leaked. Well, no one can prove if it's correct or not, but according to me, that's a really good strategy to find out any loopholes in the information leak. But yeah, that's a different thing. Now, many people might ask that, why didn't they do any lie detecting text tests As today's, as in today's technology, we can possibly do that. So the answer is they actually did polygraph tests and bob did undergo some polygraph tests uh the first one the first test results were not clear not clear like they couldn't tell if he was telling the truth or not but in the second test however uh it came out to be in bob's favor and they concluded that his claims did appear to be truthful so there is that too but some people don't find it credible, as polygraph tests mainly indicates breathing rate, pulse rate, blood pressure and such. So they say that it can easily be, you know, cheated or whatever. So yeah. But leaving everything behind, I'm not denying the fact that Bob Lazar was actually a suspicious person. He was actually, he had actually a pretty sketchy background as mm, he was also once arrested for aiding and abetting a prostitution ring uh though this charge was reduced to felony pondering uh to when to which he actually pleaded guilty and yeah that's kind of not you know a good thing for a physicist uh also that case you remember where he uh displayed himself as A self-employed film processor. So it's pretty bizarre for a self proclaimed physicist who works at Los Alamos to call himself as a film processor. Well yeah, Bob Lazar is particularly not a clear guy. He has a sketchy background, he is a suspicious person, and obviously we cannot give credibility to his findings and to his claims, but what if they are all true? What if everything that he says is true? Don't you think that it's a really crucial evidence for us? Don't you think that it's actually a revol- it, can, it can actually cause a revolution if we somehow find that the muscovium has an isotope which can be used as an antimatter? Well, there are lots of possibilities. There's one more incident uh, that is in the case, uh, which is pretty, you know, which is not often talked about. But actually, while shooting for the documentary, Bob Lazar and that director, uh, they talked about the element 115 that Bob took home with him. And the very next day, there was a raid uh, mainly involving FBI uh, on his company and at his laboratory. Uh, because apparently, he had, uh, they were suspicious that he had uh, supplied some, you know, material or some chemical which was used as a murder thing, which was used in a murder. So, uh, let me clear this context that Lazar owns and operates United Nuclear Scientific Equipment and Supplies, which sells a variety of materials and chemicals. So... This is not a thing for which FBI had to raid someone's company or someone's laboratory, you know. If they just needed to have a check of what he supplied and what not. Well, they could have done that without raiding. But yeah, we can't say much. So these were all the facts and uh, all the claims that I researched and put forward in front of you. And I hope you all enjoyed the podcast, but I know that this is not the best quality and I'm so sorry for that because I don't have the equipment for the quality right now. But I am sure I will have them in the near future and I'll, you know, continue to deliver you all with the research as I do. Well, today before leaving, I want you guys to think about something. Keeping every skeptics, keeping all the, you know, not, all the absence of evidence and whatever aside. Just think about it. What if it's all true? I mean, even if it's a hoax, just think about it for a minute. That what if the claims of Bob Lazar are actually true? Don't you think that it is actually bizarre that the government is hiding such crucial information from all of us? Well... It's not uncommon for government to hide stuff because they do, (laughs) we all know they do but just think about it just think about the infinite possibilities that are out there and that life other than earth is there which is much more advanced than we are which is which might be even more powerful than we are who knows so yeah uh with this i would like to take my leave. So, what did you guys think about today's episode? Uh, Do let me know and if there are any suggestions or you didn't like the research or any topics you would like me to cover, please feel free to tell me and you can also contact me through my email. Well then, I will see you next time. Until then, have a good time and keep thinking and be curious. Bye-bye!